Fans, this is Bruno San Martino bringing my 22 year wrestling experience to the Captain Royal Bomber Hotline. Call now for the latest news and my views on professional wrestling. In a combined effort, we bring you the latest news in the world of professional wrestling, including WrestleMania 4 and the Clash of Champions. We will give you match to match results on both events. Remember today, March 27, call the Captain Lou Hotline for WrestleMania 4 and the Clash of Champions. Match by action. match results all day today. $1.50 the first minute, 35 cents each additional minute. Watch a movie. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Quick, Strawberry banana. Oh, big plop. Please don't aggregate this. Lillard. Long range three. <laughs> Their defense is atrocious. I'm, I'm sort of the rock star. Right on the cowboy. People. Tiso is the official watch of the NBA. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about aggregation. I'm oddly intrigued by neck tattoos. You know, we love China. We love no playing there. Here comes a dunk. Shut up and listen. You, you think you're better than me? Bye. All right. Welcome back to Swish FM. Chris Wenzel and Ben Craw. Uh, ben, our guest today is an editor. Uh, he's a writer. He's a leader in the newsroom. Lately, he's been doing some reporting and editing for investigative media outlet ProPublica. Previously, he was editor-in-chief of Vice News, where he helped rebuild the digital newsroom and launch Vice News Tonight on HBO. Ben, he is wrapping up his doctorate in professional wrestling and kayfabe <laughs> studies at the Vince McMahon School of Business. Uh, Ryan McCarthy, welcome to Swish FM. This is a long time coming. We're very excited to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. How's it going? It's great to be here. It's great to be here. Thank you for that uh, very accurate intro. Welcome, <laughs> welcome, Ryan. This is very, very special. Um, yeah, Ryan was uh, my former boss at Advice News. Um, Former dear old, co-worker at HuffPost. Yeah, dear old friend, we, we first met at a long conference table where we were randomly seated <laughs> next to each other in, I think, around the year 2010 at a, uh, at a bustling wow. newsroom known as thehuffingtonpost.com. Uh, where we, uh, you know, just performed amazing, beautiful journalism together. What can I say? Ryan, Ryan quickly ascended the ranks of the media world much, much quicker than me. Um, and uh, but uh, but now uh, the tables have turned as uh, we welcome uh, him uh, back onto our turf, our turf, Chris. Yeah. Yes, Ryan. Uh, ben has shared stories with our audience. You are famous for putting non-compliant workers in the figure four <laughs> leg lock. Yes, absolutely. Uh, ben, absolutely. And the Boston Crab when when uh, when needed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Ben recounted a time you gave him a DDT in front of uh, Vice's head of HR. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. So so how how has your uh, upbringing watching the WWF informed your uh, no holds barred approach to uh, to journalism <laughs> the last few years? I mean, you know, I, I I'm a big sports fan, but I think professional wrestling has had a bigger effect on me than any sport. And, and let's let's call it a sport. Let's be generous. Oh, it is. Um, but but you know, the WWF like hit me at a time. Like I'm 42, right? So. I am right in that sweet spot when I was young enough to believe in Hulkamania, to actually be invested in the storylines, to be disappointed when things went wrong, and to, like, you know, buy into some of the stuff that just does not seem like it works anymore, like the blatant jingoism, like, you know, fighting the Iranians, fighting fighting the Russians, the racial stereotypes that, like, are pretty common. Yeah. Um, and now, like, look looking back on it, it just, like... It, 
wrestling to me was the 80s. And I'm a, I was born in 78, so I came of age at a time when the 80s were really peaking. And so I just like, I, I know there's all been a lot written about tr- Trump and wrestling and how he is a wrestling character and sort of right. like inspired by the ways wrestlers talk. I just think our whole generation has been. And obviously I'm not the same age as Trump, thank God. But um, yeah, the WWF was like a thing for me, a very big thing. Yeah, it was a very, very big thing for us too. We're a little bit younger, but but I think we sort of caught the tail end of uh, you know that that golden era um, that that you were kind of like raised on. And yeah, it was like that thing you said about like how it worked on you in a way it just doesn't work on you as an adult. Like we were that perfect age where, yeah, we were just so susceptible. We certainly were exposed to it. Uh, speaking for myself, like way, at way too young in age, like <laughs> that stuff, oh, like yes. we were, we were <laughs> fully, fully brainwashed. It's insane. Our parents let us watch this. Ben. <laughs> yeah. Ben and I are the same age. It's like, I had no business watching this stuff as an age. No, no. The thing that, uh, it worked on us, but it also like, it was such a simpler time in both the best ways and the worst ways. Mm. Like just thinking back on the storylines, they're really a good versus evil kind of thing in a way that like, it it just does not really work right now. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like there was just like no nuance. It was, everything was just very like black and white. It was like, you know, good and evil. There was no, Mm -hmm. there was no sort of gray area with any sort of narrative storytelling, be it, movies pop culture the wwf whatever it is you know or or in real life it was only like good people there was only like dictators or good people there was mm-hmm. nothing in between yeah we talked a lot in, in in previous episodes about how like not only the storylines but the characters themselves were so simple it was like oh okay if you're a barber then you get a big pair of barber shears if you're a tugboat you dress like a tugboat sailor it's like it was just so so and that's what I think it made it so like fun and like so easy to like latch on to it is that it was so easy uh, to to grasp um, and there were not like anti heroes and like weird complicated questions of like workers versus management which I feel like you know sort of became <laughs> the the main like storyline you know in the in the generation that followed our our upbringing so I want to um, just to like kind of kick off our conversation Ryan I'd love to hear like how you were first exposed like if you had like do you remember like your your first memories like watching wrestling i know we've like talked offline about how you were a wwf guy but then you became wcw or like kind of like you know and then just like how how it all started for you i'm curious yeah i mean i think that the short version is i was of the age where i started out on probably wrestlemania 2 so wrestlemania 1 definitely on vhs Wow. WrestleMania 2, I think, was the first one that I watched with my dad. I would, my parents were divorced. I would go to my dad's house. He had access to all the pay-per-views. So you um, had, like, the little box those, and everything? Exactly. The Descrambler box. Wow. Like, it was great. Wow. So it was, it was very much divorced dad territory. So I'd go over there, <laughs> and, and, and WrestleMania 2 was, like, eye-opening. And WrestleMania 3, I think, to me, was the peak of my WWF fandom. It was the peak of, I think, the WWF. Hmm. You guys have covered it. It's when Hogan slammed Andre in the Pontiac Silverdome, tore out his shoulder. Seeing what this guy is really made of, what he is, the greatest professional athlete in the world today. Look at this. He's And 
And then, you know, I got to WrestleMania 4, which was this big moment, um, you know, the, the tournament for the vacated belt, Hogan. Well, I don't want to jump on ahead too much, but um, <laughs> I was also a big fan of the WWF magazine, and mm. they had been really playing up WrestleMania 4. They had, like the NCAA tournament, they had the brackets that you could fill out. Welcome to our WrestleMania 4 report. Of course, the Elimination Tournament will take place to fill the now vacant World Wrestling Federation Championship. The top 14 contenders competing, six first-round matches, and of course, Hulk and Andre in round two. I was about 10 years old in 1988 when, um, when this happened, or not just about 10 anyway. And I started analyzing the bracket, and I'm like, Dad, you know, I've heard that wrestling is fixed, and it seems like, at least in the first round anyway, it's good guy versus bad guy in each matchup. Do you think they planned it that way? <laughs> and then he's like, oh, no, let's just see how it, how it, how it plays out. And through WrestleMania four, which had this shocking result in Hogan not winning, but also, like, throughout the entire tournament, in every single match, it's good guy versus bad guy until mm. Macho Man Randy Savage wins. And I said to my dad, look, I'm not a mathematician or something like that, but what are the chances? What are the chances <laughs> that could happen that way? And so WrestleMania 4 was one of those moments for me, like a fall from grace, um, Ooh, wow. you know, a, a, my childish heart breaking where I was like, okay, this is a little bit more complicated than I think. Mm. It's not your fault. And, you know, I started to dabble in the... AWA, WCW, NWA world. It's not your fault. Got really into the Ric Flairs of the world, the Four Horsemen, and all these weird, you know, sub-characters on, on TBS, and became kind of like a wrestling hipster for a few years until I, nice. I got too old to watch wrestling at all. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, so yeah, that at, WrestleMania 4 for me is like where... I started to see a little bit behind the curtain in, in a good way and in a bad way with wrestling. Mm. Um, you started to lose your innocence a little bit. Yeah, like I liked it, but I was also like, okay, this there's some clear narrative going here that is being very telegraphed through mm. Gorilla Monsoon's commentary and through this very organized pitting of a good guy versus a bad guy um, in a 14-man tournament. Yeah. Um, so that's like right. my general wrestling narrative or arc i have two questions so one did you as a kid did you ever go to one of these events like did you never. ever see okay. never yeah neither no. neither did i neither yeah. did i which by the way like didn't affect my fandom at all to me it was like this incredible tv experience my other question is like wrestlemania 4 when you start to get like the peek behind the curtain you start to have maybe your suspicions or doubts about like well so were you doubting uh, that this that that this was real or that it was fixed? Like when you say doubts, that's a good what, question. What exactly were you doubting? Yeah, that's a good question. Around the same time, um, I, you know, you remember those old Polaroid cameras, the ones where you yes. like stuff the film in the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, so we celebrated Christmas, and I was like, "Well, we've got this Polaroid camera here. If I just leave this out with a note to Santa and say, hey, look, I'm, I'm a big fan, Santa. You know, I love your work. If you, you could just take a picture for me. Um, <laughs> One snap. So, so the, the Christmas morning, I got a letter back in my dad's handwriting saying, look, I'm too busy. This is Santa, but I can't take a picture of myself. Um, I'll, I'll do it. I'll get you <laughs> next amazing. year. That's amazing. So, like... 
Oh, you know, I was kind of for me right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was kind of like ready intellectually for this, like you know, uh, dim view of exactly, exactly. So yeah. it didn't. The thing is, it would be a few years before it bothered. I I literally had the exact same Christmas analogy where I was like, I remember understanding at a certain point that Santa wasn't real and and learning and comprehending that Santa wasn't real, but it really in no way affected my enjoyment of uh, opening presents and celebrating Christmas. And it was the same with the WWF where at a certain point, like I sort of accepted that you know, these the, the body slamming and the punching and the kicking and the stomping that there was some element of it that wasn't completely real, but it in no way affected my ability or my, my enjoyment of the, of the product. Totally. I think, you know, what I got really excited about in wrestling, and this is why at least initially I was a big Hulk Hogan fan, is like... You know, I was just rewatching WrestleMania 4 to prepare for this, and yeah, Gorilla Monsoon used that word intestinal fortitude all the time. Oh yeah, and this is this is the this is the moment when you know Hogan's getting choked out, and then he's you know they raise his arm one time, he's in a sleeper hold, and then he hulks out and he gets psyched up, and then that's the turning point in the match. Or when Randy Savage just gets his ass kicked and he's sweating and dragging. Oh, yeah. Like, those were the moments in wrestling that really, like, and frankly, in rock, in movies like Rocky or The Karate Kid, too, that really got me going. And wrestling is, like, the perfect delivery mechanism for that kind of, like, comeback. Oh, yeah. And that yeah. kind of a- acting of suffering and endurance and, and intestinal fortitude. Yeah, the melodrama of it. Yeah, we've I've talked on a previous episode how I got such a weird visceral thrill from watching Hulk Hogan gradually get wetter as the match went on. <laughs> and like the like the the Hulk that entered the ring was like kind of cool, kind of exciting to me. But the Hulk with the stringy hair whipping back and forth against his skull, the man... Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, I think his superpower, I mean, aside from his incredible promo work, his ability to sweat. Like, I mean, Patrick Ewing, eat your heart out. Like, no one could work up a sweat in three minutes' time like Hulk Hogan and then just look completely like a bucket of water had been poured on his head. And that was, like, in so incredibly powerful. Like, it's such a simple thing. But just being sweaty just showed you, like, how intense this was, how dramatic it was. Like, I've never sweat that much in my entire life. Look at Hulk Hogan. Like, it's, it was just, yeah, it had such a, such a profound, stupid, like, animal effect on my brain. In trying to make an artistic statement, one should be careful not to let one's personal aroma do the talking. In order not to offend the critics, I recommend Right Guard Sports Stick. It provides maximum protection and the freshest scents, a sublime palette of odoriferous emanations. After all, a true artiste should be remembered for his inspiration, not his perspiration. Right Guard Sports Stick. Anything less would be uncivilized. Oh, it's it's Wet Hulk. Like this is this is where he really you know shines. Like this is the wetter he gets, the stronger he gets. And <laughs> like it was just yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's dive into WrestleMania. 4. Yeah. So we wanted to talk a little about this event. It was a, a formative event, as you said, for you personally, Ryan. And I think a very formative event for the WWF and a little bit of a foreshadow, I would say. So the the sort of like you know, arc of this episode, if we can lay it out a little bit for our listeners or foreshadow a little bit, we want to talk about 
Hulk and Hulkamania, but then also like kind of how these things age. You sort of hinted at it earlier, Ryan, with how you know this this product that we consumed as kids that had this this great power over us. Like when you watch it as an adult, you're like, "Yee, this does not age so well." Um, for lots of reasons. And so we're going to talk a little bit about a, a then and now sort of perspective on things. But to, to start, to, to set us up a little bit, um, I, we'd love to like dive in since we all rewatched it recently. Um, a really interesting, you know, event, WrestleMania 4, following on the heels of WrestleMania 3, like probably the, the biggest, most important uh, res- professional wrestling event in history. Uh, you know, 93,000 fans, Pontiac Silverdome. Of course, that number's disputed. Probably closer to 88,000, whatever. Um, but the epic, you know, Hulk Hogan body slamming Andre the Giant. Um, like, one of the most iconic, uh, just, you know, important images in, in wrestling history. And then to follow that up, um, like, how, like, how do you top that? How do you match that? How do you, how do you get bigger than that? Um, and... And I just found it very fascinating what the WWF, kind of the way they pivoted. Um, and it turns out that a very, very key figure in that pivot, in that, like, figuring out what's next, would be a one Donald Trump. Vince and I have had an amazing relationship for many years. Many, many years. And it all began with WrestleMania number four in Atlantic City, where, frankly, I met the largest man I've ever seen to this date, the great Andre the Giant, who was great. That was a terrific time. It wasn't, in fact, the WWF's idea to uh, take WrestleMania four to... uh, to Trump Plaza in Atlantic City, New Jersey. It was, in fact, Donald Trump that came to WWF and, and pitched them and said, I have an idea. I want you guys in my building, and I'm going to give you such a deal that you're not going to be able to to turn it down. Um, and I think there's lots of ways that that kind of affected the event, um, the sort of energy of it, obviously, like the arena itself, the size of the crowd, the type of crowd that it was, um, the fact that Donald Trump was a uh, prominent like sort of character in the actual event, uh, sitting ringside in the front row, um, cut to, you know, several, several times and, and mentioned repeatedly by the commentators, uh, Gorilla and Jesse Ventura. Um, and he, and like, it was the very first time that Trump had ever associated with the WWF, uh, you know, sort of officially or, or uh, you know, sort of in public. Um, and it would kick off what would become a, you know, a, a relationship that, that lasted the, the remainder of his life. And I think affected him like deeply and profoundly and like, uh, played a, a huge role in his election. Um, and, and it just all kind of, I don't know, it all makes a lot of sense as we'll talk about sort of, you know, the before and after of, of where everything ended up. But for now, let's just talk a little bit about WrestleMania for our, our, you know, reflections on it, watching it as, as adults. So the event took place March 27th, 1988. Um, it was advertised as being at the Trump Plaza Hotel and Casino. Mm-hmm. Yep, but in yep. fact, it actually took place at the historic Atlantic City Convention Hall across the street. Mm-hmm. On March 27th, we're having one of the most exceptional and exciting events that we've ever had at Trump Plaza in Atlantic City. 
WrestleMania 4. Everybody wanted it. Everybody fought for it. Hotels all over the world were trying to get WrestleMania 4, and Trump Plaza got it. And it's a great honor for me to be hosting it. And I will tell you, uh, I have probably never had an event where more people are asking for more tickets than what they're doing with WrestleMania 4. We're honored to be chosen. We're honored to have it. And we look forward to having a great time. Everybody hopefully will be coming down to Atlantic City and Trump Plaza on March 27th to witness really an exciting and a fun event. So the event was advertised that it was being sponsored by Donald Trump, but it in fact did not take place at the Trump Casino and Hotel. Mm-mm. And that to me is sort of perfect yeah. and like feels like frankly foreshadowing for the world that we um, you know, have been living in the last you know, four or five years, whatever it is. Yeah, totally. We should also mention real quick, just RIP, because Trump Plaza uh, imploded. Um, in fact, just a few <laughs> short months ago, February 17, 2021, was the, uh, was the day that it all came down. So it is a, a venue that no longer exists. Uh, may, it, may God I, remember it. I mean, the other weird thing about the Trump part of this is there's a narrative connection between what's going on the WWF at that time and Trump in, in the character of the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, yep. clearly based on this like <sighs> 80s yuppie rich guy kind of Wall Streeter who's yeah, who can buy anything. Greedy, and egomaniac. And he bought the WWF title. Well, he <laughs> attempted to. That Trump, I'm, actually, yeah, yeah, you're right. Exactly. He did successfully because right, he did get it. Uh, at yeah. the main event, um, of course, it was later voided by Jack Tunney. But um, but yeah, you're right. He did succeed in in holding that title for a few brief hours before uh, President Jack Tunney stepped and in. So and there's a there's a Trump proxy character in the in the main event here. Yeah, um, which is so strange to me. Yeah, um, and and also kind of weird. And I was thinking about this when I was rewatching it. Is like. This is the difference between early 80s and late 80s, right? This is the difference between um, post-Black Friday, post-Wall Street, Gordon Gecko, and, like, 1984. Um, mm. This is sort of the end of the 80s when a character like Ted DiBiase could really be, like, seen as evil and, mm. um, you know, be, a, be like, a, a true villain. Um, and it's just so interesting, too. I'm glad you mentioned the crowd, too, because rewatching this, the crowd kind of sucked. Oh, they were and, dead. Like, the venue... Venue's kind of small yeah. and like kind of dumpy. Yeah. And I, I like, I actually couldn't believe it how different it was from every WrestleMania before and after. I mean, especially when you compare it to the Pontiac Silverdome. It's yep. the, 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 I, I will say, like, the Pontiac Silverdome, Ben, we talked about like the cinematography in that WrestleMania. It's, it's like romantic. Oh my God. Like, just like the scope of yeah, it. Yeah, it's is absolutely fucking, like, it's an it's epic. Fucking, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it feels like you're watching Apocalypse Now or something. It's just yeah. so massive yeah. in scope. And, and the fact that that, like event, that event goes from daytime to nighttime in real time, yes. which to me was, like, so, like, profound mm. and just, like, yeah, again, like, the, the cinematic, like, epic quality of it. Um, it was just, yeah. yeah. And, and, and WrestleMania four, this event that we're talking about today, did really, like you said, Ryan, it felt, like, very campy and just like dumpy like we're in this like little fucking i mean it looked like they were in an an airport hangar um and (laughs) do you remember wrestlemania 3 i think it was when hogan and all the participants were like they came out on those carts those little ring carts the little ring carts yeah like 
I, ch- I tried oh, to build yeah. one of those as a kid, like because I was big. I was big about learning all of the moves: so the forehand chop, the small package, all the oh, random yeah. obscure moves. Um, but also about building like the side things. Like I had a bell on my couch that oh, was my man. fake bell, oh, and I tried amazing. to I tried to build out of cardboard these like ring carriers because oh. I thought it was so special. Because only in WrestleMania did you get those ring carriers, and then you're in WrestleMania four, and you, like the crowd is like. Donald Trump and some sh- his schmuck friend sitting next to him. Yeah, <laughs> Ryan, I I literally had I had a whole qu- series of questions for you about what what some of the N- WWF toys that you had were, <laughs> and I literally built my own belt. I built my <laughs> own W. I built my own WWF uh, action figure ring out of like the top of a cardboard box nice. with pencils oh, wrapped like yeah. strings around that. I mean, like I I leaned in really really hard. So yeah. that's very funny that yeah. you did that stuff too. Oh, I, I think that was a common thing. I repurposed a lot of GI Joes in like a make a, a, yep. a kind of wrestling ring, mm-hmm. but I always found like the actual WWF action figures like you couldn't move their arms, so it was like. Yeah. They weren't great. I, can, I can't do a small package if there's arm arms can't move. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, did you have like the those big like like nine inch tall rubber ones, or did you get the like the the when I I like I had some of those big rubber ones. Like I had a Hulk and an Andre the Giant, um, which I think were like LJN, and then they got the smaller plastic ones like a couple you know, like by like you know the late eighties, um, and they expanded the to like you know more wrestlers. <laughs> In our man shows, everybody's got a price. Ah, the American dream will put you to sleep. And Hacksaw's gonna cut you down. Ooh, he'll pay for that. I'll squash Hogan with my new Macho Master. Man, Hulkster's gonna put the squeeze on you. And now you're taking the ultimate punishment. Let's get ready! I'll crown all of ya. New WWF figure so close to the real thing. It's like being in the ring. Do you know the backstory? So one of the reasons why the crowd was so dead is... As part of the deal that Trump offered Vince McMahon, um, they had this thing called casino buys, which is where the venue agrees to purchase a certain number of the tickets um, at a certain price oh that the WWF set. So they, you know, as part of the negotiation for, and the, again, like Trump made this so attractive to them. So even though the crowd was, you know, a quarter of the size of WrestleMania three, they actually made more money on WrestleMania four than WrestleMania three. Oh which, my God. Yeah. Because, um, not only did they not have to pay, uh, you know, a lot of the, the costs and stuff associated with just producing the event, but um, Trump agreed to buy a package of tickets um, called Casino Buys, which he then gave out to free, uh, for, for free, um, gifted them to the, the patrons, the high rollers in the casino. Um, you know, as casinos do for, like, boxing matches and lots of, you know, th- events and stuff that they stage there as just, like, attractions to, to bring in people to spend the real money, which is in the casino gambling. Um, so a big portion of the crowd, especially in like the best seats that the cameras were fixed on, were just fucking random, like, like rich gamblers who were like, oh, you're giving me a free ticket? Sure, I guess I'll g- come and, you know, bring my like prostitute girlfriend with me and like, sure, I'll have a night and then like get wasted on free drinks and go gamble some more. Um, and then on top of that, because they had that uh, you know block of tickets already paid for, they were able to increase the ticket price of the rest of the tickets. So a lot of the um, you know the, the the average ticket price um, was a lot higher than it was for WrestleMania three. So a lot of the 
you know, the average fan that could afford um, that type of a, of a ticket weren't your standard, you know, middle America, you know, fucking wrestling fans. They were like, you know, a bunch of, you know, wealthier, you know, people, you know, people who were maybe bringing their kids or whatever, but didn't care that much, whatever, just like a different sort of uh, caliber, I guess, of, of wrestling fan, uh, slightly less, uh, you know, passionate, perhaps you, you might say. Um, so it really did set the tone for the, uh, for the whole thing. Although I will say just real briefly, I got to give the WWF credit for, um, they were actually the WWF, um, uh, their team was responsible for the like design and lighting of the building. So when they, Mm, you know, first uh, showed up, the place was basically just like a warehouse space. It was just like, I mean, you know, it had seats and stuff, but it didn't have all the, the, the cool, like that ceiling was like such an indelible, I don't know if I just like if if I like saw it in like replays as a kid or like possibly my grandfather may have like watched this live and I like have I was like four no I was like six at the time but it was like before I was like heavily invested but I I have like these vague memories of like seeing that ceiling it was also the same venue for WrestleMania five so it could be I'm kind of like conflating the two but anyway that blue and red alternating you know color pattern on the ceiling and the lighting and everything was like really striking and even though it was like kind of a small like dingy building they made it look pretty like unique or memorable at least to me i don't know um in the way it was like yeah. this long stretched out like almost like olympic sized swimming pool type space instead of like a round arena i don't know like the it, it just felt very different from your average you know like wrestling or or basketball arena so i don't know that did have like uh kind of struck me as like cool and Anyway, let's dive into the actual match. So again, the date, Ben Ryan, is March 27th, 1988. We are at the Atlantic City Convention Hall in Atlantic City, New Jersey. It is being sponsored by Donald Trump. WrestleMania 4, we are revisiting specifically the match between Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. Yeah, we're not going to go through the entire uh, event because, my God, there are, what, like 20 matches? It's four hours plus long. It's a a long event. Mm -hmm. It it plays long, too, even Mm -hmm. rewatching it 20-some years later. Yeah, I mean, that's another reason for the dead crowd. By the the main event, these people were tired. (laughs) Like, they wanted to to go home. So the main event was a 14-man single elimination tournament for the undisputed WWF heavyweight championship. Ben, remind us again, the title belt had been vacated by President Jack Tunney. That's right. Uh, following the month, the month prior, a couple weeks, couple weeks prior. Right? Yeah, following the the very controversial, uh, the, the cloud of controversy um, that was hanging over the uh, conclusion of the the main event, uh, main event one on NBC, February fifth, nineteen eighty eight, in which um, you know Andre the Giant, uh, you know, very uh, controversially pinned, quote unquote, Hulk Hogan. And then immediately it was a pin Ben. It was a pin. Uh, I saw, I saw that shoulder snap up. That 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 shoulder was never down for for three. Um, but anyway, uh, Andre got the pin and then immediately gifted the belt to Million Dollar Man, who was there at ringside. And then of course there was the double referee, the twin referees. How much did they play, pay for the plastic surgery? How much money, brother, did the Moonshine Million Dollar Man lay on the dude to have his face redone? How much did he lay in that plastic surgery? How much extra man to rip me off of the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Title? Very, very uh, <laughs> disputed, very controversial. So President Jack Tunney, uh, after just a few short days, you know, stepped in as um, you know the, the stalwart uh, president that he was and made the very difficult, but I would say fair, decision to vacate the title 
um, because uh, according to the WWF rule book, which of course exists, uh, we we all know <laughs> we've we've read it many times. Um, uh, a title cannot be uh, be given; it has to be won or something to that effect. Anyway, no, specifically he said uh, uh, he said specifically that the WWF Championship belt could not be sold from one wrestler to another. Ah. There's a specific rule in the book, Ben. It says he can't <laughs> sell that belt. Yep, yep. February 5th, 1988 will go down in World Wrestling Federation history as a day of infamy. Never before has there been such controversy to surround a World Wrestling Federation championship match. Despite having viewed time and again videotapes of the Hogan-Andre match, the decision of the referee is, as always, unfortunately final. Therefore, Hulk Hogan is not the World Wrestling Federation champion. However, it clearly states in the rule book that in order for a wrestler to be deemed a champion, he must either pin the reigning title holder or make him submit. That is the only way a wrestler can become champion. Therefore, unequivocally, I can state that Ted DiBiase is also not the World Wrestling Federation champion. Furthermore, it also clearly states in the rule book that a reigning champion may at any time in his tenure end his reign by publicly surrendering the title, which is exactly what happened when Andre the Giant presented the championship belt to Ted DiBiase. Therefore, Andre is also not the champion either. It is my decision that to be fair to the last two reigning champions of record, Hogan and Andre, and to furthermore be fair with the number one contenders who would have faced either Andre or Hogan as champion, I now declare the title vacant. And this vacancy to be filled on March 27th of this year during WrestleMania 4 in the form of the first ever World Wrestling Federation Championship Tournament. It was the first time the WWF World Heavyweight Championship was vacated for the first time in its 25-year history. Incredible. So this was a, uh, a major event, Ben. Yeah. And, um, Is that why Robin Leach came out and read from a scroll um, <laughs> saying that he declared the tournament starting? <laughs> yes. Whoever Robin Leach's agent was at this time, like, I don't understand the lifestyles and rich Incredible. and famous branding, co-branding with wrestling. You have found the wealthiest man in the world because I, I've got the three H's. I've got happiness, I've got all my Hulkamaniacs behind me. When you're healthy, that means you're wealthy, brother. Don't ever forget it. I have to admit that if wealth is measured in adulation, the Hulk would indeed be in the billionaire's circle. They're not the same demographic, certainly not. I mean... The, the Trump... The Trump world. Yeah, I but don't know. But they were definitely... Like, was, was that an official document he was reading from? An official uh, WWF scroll? Oh, I would assume scroll. so. Yeah, I, I believe that had a, a notary uh, signature on it. Yeah, I, I think that was all very um, on the up and up. Um, yeah, Robin Leach's whole involvement is hilarious. And it was... Fascinating. His, like, at, uh, flashing forward to, like, the, the main title match at the very end, his, uh, yes. uh, um, you know, introduction of the belt, like, walking down the music that accompanied... It was, like, a fucking David Lynch Can, movie. It was so it, bizarre and dreamlike. Dude, how about, like, the, 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 championship, the championship belt is presented before the match. It's brought out to the ring on this, like, red velvet pillow. Yes. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, 
from Trump Plaza. It is now time for the final event. It is the final match of our championship elimination tournament. And we will determine the undisputed World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Champion. At this time, I would like to introduce the presenter of the championship belt. He is the lifestyles of the rich and famous' own Robin Leach. I'm bringing down the Covenant World Wrestling Federation Championship belt. As it's come to this, Jess, we will have, in fact, an undisputed World Wrestling Federation champion. And it'll either be the Macho Man Randy Savage or the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. Well, his money won't be able to help him now, Jess. He's got to get out there and do it. Yeah, but, you know, this is Macho's fourth match. I realize that. DiBiase's had, what, two? Yes. That's got to weigh heavily, Gorilla. Where's, where's Donald Trump? I want to say hi to him. Where is he? There's the belt Boy, for the World a, Heavyweight Ladies Championship. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, allow me to introduce our guest ring announcer. He is known throughout the world as... Mr. Baseball, here is Bob it's, it's like presented, he comes right down, brings it to Donald Trump, shows Donald Trump, who's seated, of course, at ringside. The yep. whole thing is so opulent and funny, this like performative, <laughs> you know, this like performance of wealth uh, and status is so fucking perfect. Yeah, yeah, uh, it was incredible. Um but uh, but anyway, yeah. So getting back to the tournament, yeah, 14, 14 members. So it should be you know sixteen. But uh, Hogan and Andre, because they were I guess like the last two people to hold the belt, they got a bye in the first round. So they didn't have to wrestle in the first round. But they would square off. Uh, interestingly enough, that that random bracket that Ryan talked about earlier just so happened to um, to pit Hogan and Andre against each other head to head in round two uh, of the tournament. Um, which, yeah, I mean, we could talk a lot about just the the weirdness of, like, kind of billing the event as, like, the Hogan-Andre, you know, it's now the third time. Uh, Hogan won in WrestleMania 3, Andre won at the main event, so it's, like, the rubber match, it's, like, the, the third meeting. Yeah. But it's not the main event of the, of the pay-per-view of WrestleMania 4. It's not even, like, toward the end. It's, like, kind of just stuck in the middle. Um, and as we'll get to, it was a pretty short and kind of unsatisfying match, I would say. <laughs> So Ben, yep. so this this takes place uh, just so I have my timeline of events right. This is like literally like a month later after the main event. Is that yeah, right? it's like a maybe two months because it's April Six weeks, something. Yeah, February fifth yeah. was the main event, and this is what April. Right. So one was in February. This is March twenty seventh. March twenty seventh. So okay. Yeah. yeah so a like, month and a half. Yeah. yeah it's like. It, yeah, it's a month and a half. Okay. So it's like right on the heels of this very controversial you know, uh, a match at the main event with, with the Hebner twins and the whole disputed, you know, uh, pinning of Hogan. Um, 
So tensions are, you know, at an all-time high. And guys, let's talk about the match itself. Ryan, anything that stuck out to you about the match? Yeah, um, just in, in, in thinking over, like, the totality of the Hogan versus Andre feud, I, this one is so weird to me because it was kind of anticlimactic. It had all of the hallmarks of the previous matches. There's the Hogan slam at the end after the, the double DQ there is Hogan getting choked out and hulking himself up and then like cheering up the crowd and going on a, you know, a sort of um, spree of <laughs> ass kicking. Um, but this this to me was like and, and I would be curious to know how you guys think this compares to the main event. But this to me is when Hogan starts cheating. Yeah, and it's not to say like he's not like moral. He's morally wrong or that the viewers are supposed to see him as a bad guy now. It's not that. But no. man, he was a like an uncut good guy up until this point from everything that I could tell. Like he would never cross a line necessarily. I mean, mm. this is in, in his peak era and his peak form. I, I imagine when he was in earlier in his earlier years as a wrestler, like he did some shady stuff. Well, he started but out as a he, as a heel really early on exactly, you know, in, the, yeah, in the late seventies. Yeah. yeah, before he returned as a good guy. My ten year old brain, my ten year old memory of Hulk Hogan is always the Hulkamania nonsense about like, you know, eating your vitamins and saying your prayers. Like he sort of very clearly draws a line in the sand about like, I'm a good man. Yeah. He has morals. You would think he wear, yeah, he wears a crucifix. Like he very much espouses like Christian values, right? Like he's the good, he wants you to know he is on the side of justice. He's this righteous person. Yeah. But rewatching it as an adult, it is really interesting to see, you know, this is 1988. Like he is, you're right, Ryan. Like he is definitely not shy about cheating. Yeah. Um, yeah. We see it multiple times in, in the course of, of this event uh, tonight. So, um, yeah, it is It is interesting to rewatch it to sort of realize, like, oh, I guess he was cheating more than I remember. Yeah. And, and you know, just, like, looking, watching this thing again, obviously, and you guys have talked about this, other wrestling commentators have talked about this, there's a, there's a referee problem in wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> but when, when you watch a 14-man <laughs> tournament in one sitting, yeah. and, like, a third of the matches are either a DQ or some serious screw-up by the referee... It becomes all the more jarring age just to see those in series, but then to see, like, Mr. Good Guy, I Am a Real American, like, kind of cheat and then also kind of win and then, like, stay in the ring, Mm -hmm. like, psyching up a crowd that kind of doesn't want to hear it necessarily. (laughs) Like, they're definitely – they definitely respond to Hogan more than other – um, performers that night, but he's like staying in the ring for a weirdly odd length of time. It yeah. just was a very strange match, and like the match itself is like there's a lot of like choking, and and Andre had a choke that turned into a trapezius hold, according mm-hmm. to Gorilla Monsoon. Oh. Mm-hmm. Which his hands are so big, he can thing. he can choke and squeeze the shoulders at the same time. That's the because his hands are so large. If there's by the way, if there's one way to get Ben Crods excited, it's about talking about the trapezius. Oh muscles. baby. Uh. <laughs> It's no longer a choke, he's into the trapezius muscle. That's right, that's a legal hold, but you can see the referee, Joey Morella, getting him close to take a look at it. One of my favorites. That, yeah. That and, uh, the, and uh, the lateral yeah. that and the lateral collateral ligaments. <laughs> lateral collateral, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, one thing that we've talked about before, Ryan, with Andre is, you know, at this point in his life and career, there is a real, like, decline in his athleticism, like his his 
physically what's going on with his body yep. is like he's just not the same performer. Should not be wrestling. You think like absolutely should yeah, not be should wrestling. Should not be wrestling. <laughs> should not have been wrestling at WrestleMania three. <laughs> probably shouldn't have been wrestling to begin yeah. with at all. Yeah. Um, but you know, you know, physically he's certainly at this point compromised. He had a very invasive back surgery yep. and um, was just kind of dealing with a lot. So I do think that part of you know, like when you rewatch these events, uh, specifically with Andre the Giant, and like when it's not quite what other matches are, you know, some of it is just because Andre just couldn't, he didn't have the athleticism. He couldn't, you know, this is not a guy that could jump yeah. off the top rope yeah. or anything like that. So it was just always going to be different with him. Yeah, he wasn't He wasn't going to be able to have a 20-minute match. And, and for Hogan, like for that matter, was not a great wrestler. <laughs> like he obviously... I was just going to say that. Yeah. I was just going to say that, yep. You really, when he fights Andre, you really see his limitations as a wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, they kind of, they're both their physical limitations kind of accentuate each other. Like the leg drop... It's this really lame finishing move, <laughs> you know, and like he's doing a lot of Irish whipping and a lot mm-hmm. of like chops and I, you're just, you're just not a lot to it. But the, yeah. you know, the moment for me in this match is when Hogan goes after DiBiase and, and poor Virgil, uh. um, the bodyguard. And then he does this kind of like botched suplex. Yeah. The feet, the, f- the feet first suplex under the hard exactly. concrete. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Virgil is just like out, but then there is this moment and Ben to your point about like cinematography, there's this moment where he's running back into the ring and he's running like straight into the lights and it's overexposed and he just looks like cool ass, you know, peak Hogan running back into the ring to slam Andre. And like, to me that, that was like the most emotionally satisfying part of the match. Mm-hmm. He's taking care of the two evil guys and now he's going back to finish off Andre in an unofficial like match at the end. Right. The match right. is over at this point. Right. The match. Yeah. So to re- quickly recap, there's like a, a chair gets involved. Um, and I guess like it's technically DBS. So DBS and Virgil are accompanying Andre as like his managers. Um, which is weird because then Andre is like DiBiase's manager later. <laughs> Virgil distracts the the ref at one point. DiBiase takes a chair, uh, you know, climbs in and, and nails Hogan in the back of the chair. And Virgil up on the apron. Oh, DiBiase oh. with the chair. And then, yeah, Hogan uh, uh, chases Ted away, grabs the chair, and very stupidly tries to slam like art like if he had just stopped right there you know it would have been disqualification for andre because the chair was used by his opponent or you know by, by his manager but no holt grabs the chair and tries to slam it over andre uh leading to an immediate uh double disqualification oh now both men fighting for the chair oh he cracked andre right across the back he still couldn't drop the giant with a chair and Morella should disqualify Hogan. Oh, and he's trapped again as Andre tried to lower the boom on the half. Oh! Got to give a shout out to uh, to Ted DiBiase for the way he just throws Virgil <laughs> to Hogan <laughs> as, as Hogan's chasing I the mean, two of them. I mean, just a fantastic heads up move uh, by by Million truly, Dollar Man there. Truly, the stuff of a coward. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Please, really please take like my bodyguard. Do what you want with yeah. him. I'm running to the back. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then, so by the time Hogan gets back into the ring, first of all, Andre is, like, staggering around dazed because he's been slammed by a steel chair. 
um, and the match is over. So when Hogan has his triumphant, you know, body slam, you know, sort of trying to recapture the the iconic moment from WrestleMania three, it means nothing. It's completely meaningless, yep. empty, hollow. Um, I mean, I guess they just felt like they had to give the fans what they want. They came there to see Hogan slam Andre, so they got that, even though it didn't mean anything. Um, uh, and then getting back to a previous point you made, uh, Ryan. I have to give a shout out to Jesse the Body Ventura for very correctly pointing out the absurdity of Hogan posing and celebrating in the ring. What's the matter with Hogan? He didn't win the match. He's standing out there like he won the match. He's gone. He's history. He is not the victor. He is not advancing in this tournament. Uh, He no longer has a chance to become WWF heavyweight champion. He's out. He's done. His night is over. And he's yeah. standing there posing and celebrating and, and, and trying to, you know, uh, give, give, the, give the crowd a little of what they want. And, I mean, i got to love Jesse because he just speaks the, the, the pure truth there. The truth. Um, I mean, Ben, can, can, can I give him a shout on another thing? So that moment before this, you were talking about when DiBiase shoves Virgil into Hogan uh-huh. and, and DiBiase sprints to the dressing room. Jesse Ventura defends his behavior explaining. Um, the Hulkster, after the case of the Million Dollar Man who turns around and puts Virgil right in front of him. He literally threw Virgil to the walls. That he did, but that's Virgil's job. He's a bodyguard. That's just what it says, guard the body. DiBiase took off like a thief in the night. Look at this, suplex. That's his job. He's a bodyguard. That's what it says. <laughs> Bo- guard the body. And I was like, oh my God. God damn it, Jesse. Just calling it like you see it. You know, it's just like, just brutal honesty, uh, really fantastic. Yeah, Jesse is so underrated. Uh, as as uh, Hogan is is posing, you know, ridiculously, foolishly uh, after the match, uh, they have a shot of Donald Trump, who is just beaming, beaming uh, at at Hogan uh, in the middle of the ring. Gorilla Monsoon intones Donald Trump, obviously enthralled with Hulk Hogan, and then Jesse, without skipping a beat, says Donald Trump, obviously enthralled. You know, the guy in the center of the ring ain't a winner. The winner's Donald Trump. He's a winner to me. Well, I'll tell you what. The guy that's in the ring right now is a winner in my book, Jess. With or without the gold, he's a winner. Let me just tell you this. Donald Trump signed me a heck of a check to get me to appear here. Yeah, I'm sure he had to. Just incredible. (laughs) Incredible peek behind the curtain there uh, provided by Jesse. Um, There's a moment where Gorilla commentary. Monsoon says, for my money, he's the best athlete working, you know, in all oh, sports yeah. right now when Hogan is up there. And I think that's what leads to this whole, you know, contrarian take from Jesse, which is just great. They want more. You know what I like, though, Gorilla? I love watching Hogan pose when he's not the champion. Well, that shows me a lot of class, Jess. It shows you what? A lot of class. Give the people what they want. Whether you're the champion or not. The counterposing of like saying this guy is literally the best athlete in all of sports to Jesse the Body Ventura saying get off the stage. Yeah. I mean, that's just great TV right there. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, I have to give him credit where it's due. Like, that is fantastic. And and Jesse just played his role like so perfectly. And, you know, I don't know how much of that is like scripted beforehand or thought out. Like, I wonder like how much, how often he like pissed off McMahon. I mean, obviously, he's, his role is to play the heel commentator. Um, so I imagine, I mean, you know, whatever, they had a very complicated relationship, uh, for lots of other reasons, but, um, but man, yeah, like that's, that's the one thing that really holds up is, is Jesse's commentary. 
Can I go back to one thing before this match? In one of the in, inside WrestleMania for the broadcast, in one of the promos, Hogan comes out and goes on this really weird. Oh rant. God! Oh yes! Do you Thank this God. One? Oh Ryan, oh. we have uh, we've been we have waiting. No idea what you're talking about? <laughs> Literally, <laughs> no idea what you could be referring to. Oh Ryan. my Why God! You, uh, elaborate. Yes, finally, it's time to talk about this. Andre, one long year and your time has come, man. No marks, no scars, no blemishes on the Hulkster, brother. But inside, man, I've been scarred for one long year. Everywhere I go, man, all the little Hulksters ask me, is there any truth to the fact that there was a controversial count? Hulkster, did you really get him over your head? Did you really beat the Giants? Well, today, man, in WrestleMania 4, we're going to wipe all that controversy out. Andre the Giant, in the second round, when you're fresh as a daisy, with the whole world watching, I'm going to prove, brother, that I can beat you anywhere, anytime. And all my Hulkamaniacs, they're going to feel it, too. So he goes on this, like, fever dream, and I, I, I didn't get all of this down in my notes, but he goes on this fever dream talking about... Talking about Trump and then talking about how he's really a Hulkamaniac and that how Trump is going to be, his life is going to be in danger and he's going to have to save people. Speaking of the Hulkamaniacs, Hulk Hogan, we have seen him here at Atlantic City and I know millions others are watching very intently all around yeah, the world. but if you looked in their eyes, man, have you seen the fear in all those little Hulksters? They realize that when I get Andre the Giant cinched up in the launch position, when I slam him through the Trump Plaza, brother, from New York down to Tampa, Florida, the fault line is going to break off and his Andre the Giant falls into the ocean as my next two opponents fall to the ocean floor and I pin them. So will Donald Trump and all the Hulkamaniacs. But as Donald Trump hangs onto the top of the Trump Plaza with his family under his other arm, as they sink to the bottom of the sea, thank God Donald Trump's a Hulkamaniac. He'll know enough to let go of his materialistic possessions, hang on to the wife and kids, dog paddle with his life all the way to safety. But Donald, if something happens, you run out of gas, and all those little Hulkamaniacs run out of gas, just hang on to the largest back in the world, and I'll dog paddle us, backstroke all of us to safety. Oh, and thank you, Hulk Hogan. Let's get back to action. Wow. Trump has got to let go of his materialistic ways. Yeah, his possessions um, to, take, to grab his family. His possessions. I mean, I, I imagine there's a lot of improv that's involved in these things, mm-hmm. but this one of all the Hulk Hogan promos I've ever seen, and I've probably seen a lot, um, mm-hmm. this one really didn't make any sense. I mean, you guys were talking a little bit about his, like, motorcycle um, mm-hmm, the move rev up. where he, he would, like, moonwalk back. Yep. Um, he didn't do that, but this one felt, like, almost religious. Well, he backstrokes. Yeah. He backstrokes. Like he he's, backstrokes, Because yeah, he's yeah, yeah. swimming. The whole thing is about creating That's a... That's a Muppet move. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> they do that on the Muppets. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I mean, this this promo truly was a fever yeah. dream. Like, it was... Uh, there is a moment during this uh, promo, Ryan, where it does seem like you can almost see Monsoon and Hogan beginning to, like, crack. Like, they almost can... Like, you mean, like, mean oh, Gene. Potentially... I mean, Gene, excuse me. They're on the verge of potentially just bursting into laughter because they know the whole thing is so preposterous, but they're so high on their own supply. It's it's just really, really, truly amazing. Um, and 
Ben, do you want to add anything here? Because I have a thought on Trump, but it's kind of a, it will take us in a different direction. So anything else you want to say on the promo? I mean, yeah, again, like, I, I don't know, right, how much you thought of it ahead of time, how much was just kind of off the cuff in the moment. It is rambling. Yeah. It doesn't really make grammatical sense at, at points. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, and then he just gets into this fantasy about, right, swimming and carrying Donald swimming. Trump on, on his back. The dog paddle. The dog yeah. paddle, yeah. the the back backstroke dog paddle, yeah, uh, to get out. Um, the whole thing it's 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 really probably his greatest work there's there's like facial there's facial acting involved like when he talks about um (laughs) you know when i slam andre down he's like almost crying he almost has like a just like a like a tearful emotional look on his face yeah um his voice kind of almost cracks it's like very just very very religious like ryan said it's 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 basically religious it's like a man who's seen the light like he's like seen jesus or something it's this is the noah myth um, right prophetic this is noah's (laughs) ark is the biggest back in the world right yeah he's he's carrying humanity to safety (laughs) yeah 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 Uh, yeah all right so something i did want to mention we met we talked about trump and his relationship and the connection with trump and and hogan but something I was thinking about was, you know, like, it, it's funny thinking back on this now with some clarity. You know, ever the politician, Trump really aligned himself with Hogan and everything, Americana, Hulkamania, the whole umbrella. But in actuality, Trump really was very much more a, a DiBiase than a Hogan. Of course. It's very weird now to to watch that and realize that. But it's sort of ironic to me that Trump didn't have like the political coverage or whatever to just openly root for the bad guy because on face value, he is much more a million dollar man than a Hulk Hogan, right? But uh, that like million dollar man really was Trump's alter ego, still is Trump's alter ego. Uh, Million dollar man was just Trump and Vince McMahon on steroids. Mm -hmm. And it is weird now to watch it you know, with some clarity in hindsight and to just, it seems so plainly nakedly obvious. It's, I was, I was thinking that I, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause I was thinking of like the groupings of the various characters at this era and like DiBiase was, was unique. He was kind of similar to characters that would come after, but he was unique in that he was using his own like personal wealth to get ahead. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember the the promos that they used to do on Saturday morning with, with Ted DiBiase, where he would go up to random people and pay them to like kiss his foot. Oh or yeah. Do yeah. other like terribly like embarrassing. Wipe off his boots. Yeah. 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 Weird awful. menial tasks. Um, and, and importantly the, in the, in the beginning, sorry to cut in, but in the beginning of DiBiase's character, he would uh, have people perform these these humiliating tasks for him, and then he would give them money as the reward. And people were like, oh, cool, he's like a rich guy, but at least he gives people money. And then they realized, like, oh, no, in order for him to like be fully actualized as like the heel that he is, he would make these people perform these tasks and then pull the rug out from under them at the end so that he wouldn't have to pay them. Like, of course, the most infamous one totally. is the little boy dribbling the basketball. And then, um, God, like, like something that literally still makes my skin crawl when I watch it today. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Sean. If you can dribble this basketball 15 times consecutively without missing, look at here, I'm going to give you $500. Now, I know you and your family could use $500. I can tell by looking at you that you could use a lot more than 500 bucks. Okay. 
Virgil, give him the basketball. Okay, Sean, 15 times. Ready, go. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Oops! Oh! We didn't get to 15, Sean. You didn't get to 15, did you? No. He didn't make 15. And you know what that means? What that means, Sean, is you've got to learn a hard, cruel fact of life. When you don't do the job right, you don't get paid. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, people have, have said that, uh, you know, off screen, he ended up, you know, he did end up paying the boy and his family, whatever. But like just an, uh, a heartbreaking moment to watch this little boy dribbling a basketball you know it gets to like 10 or 9 or whatever and then DiBiase kicks the ball away so he, he can't get the money and you can see the boy's face you're like that's like a scarring emotional like experience for like a six-year-old like I, yeah. Yeah. TV on yeah. national TV yeah. yeah you're like literally performing torture you're like <laughs> you're like teaching a child on national TV how to experience trauma like yeah, yeah. of course it's going to be not okay and then if you think about the other groups of like characters in WWF at this time there's like the animal themes right like there's junkyard dog there's the british bulldogs there's jake the steak coco mm-hmm. beware mm-hmm. even george the animal steel is like a kind of a you know like he's supposed to be like a caged animal <laughs> or something like that and then you've yes. got like the the bucket i call racial ethnic or national stereotypes you know? oh yeah that's you've a got big bucket the, right there. the bolsheviks the islanders the iron chic Kamala, yeah. um, all sorts of other problematic. Of course, people like Sla- that. slaughter and Adnan would would uh, be a pretty big exactly. one. Exactly, exactly. And then you've got like the general hero bucket with like Ultimate Warrior and Hogan and Savage. But then DiBiase is the only one who is in this like morally like openly morally awful stage. Mm. He's not like he's not like evil because he's associated with a type, right? He's evil mm. be- of, of like literally what he's going out and doing with his, with his money. Yeah. And it's like still kind of interesting and compelling in it in a way that I feel like still plays. Oh, absolutely. He's he still I stands up. I, he's one of my like all time favorites, like his work. I mean, just as an actor, as a as a, you know, uh, like really one of the most incredible, like probably like the, be- the greatest heel in history in my for my money. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's. Yeah, I think Ryan, like, maybe to, to your point, is like DiBiase. Uh, there were a lot of characters in the WWF whose gimmick was defined by their very basic identity, whether it was like a nationality or their job yeah. or, you know, so it was like the big boss man. What's his deal? He's a cop. Like, what's, <laughs> you, you know, what's Jake the Snake's, what's Jake the Snake's deal? He's into snakes. What's TB- Ted DiBiase's deal? He's into corrupting people with his money. Like, owning like people, that. owning, controlling, right. manipulating that, people. Right. Yeah, and that is more of a ethical, like, his deal is much more complicated because it's based yeah. in his, like, moral center and not, like, whether he has a pet snake. Yeah, and right. it, it also has <laughs> like it's like fundamentally like a very different thing. It's it's not like oh this guy's job is that he works on tugboats. Yeah, whereas Ted DiBiase's <laughs> deal is like he buys people. <laughs> it's, it's it's like it's also one of the only gimmicks that I think has like a real world analogy. Like there are people like him. Like yes. there are no Jake the Snakes in real life, but there are million right. dollar men. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, I think as we'll get to. <laughs> so, do we feel like touching briefly on the on the conclusion of WrestleMania four? Um, sure. I mean, yeah. for- I, I, I think so. Let's let's talk about it just because Hogan, Hogan and Andre both show up. Right. So we can get through it pretty quick. Um, but um, yeah. So basically, the the climax of the tournament, uh, Million Dollar Man gets through. Um, he only has to wrestle like a one or two times because uh, there's another disqualification in an earlier round. So he gets a bye. He gets a pass. It's like an easy path for him. Macho Man, by contrast, has to wrestle three times, grueling matches against, uh, you know, very, um, you know, draining uh, opponents uh, such as uh, One Man Gang. Uh, I think Greg Valentine, he fights. Um, anyway, it's a it's a very, very tough path for him to the final, but he gets there. Um, and, I mean, we haven't really talked about Macho Man at all. I know this episode is not really about him, but my God, like, what, I mean, I think a lot of my reaction to this event as an adult is is sort of framed around macho man getting kind of kind of screwed um i mean yeah i have i have some pretty big thoughts about this but he he just puts on an epic performance um of course with elizabeth at his side they're changing outfits every single uh time (laughs) he comes out like the whole thing is just so perfectly done and performed by him um and i mean he just really like lays it all out there you know he is in he's just you know like the 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 warrior you know just sweating and and he can you know barely walk by the end he's just you know left it all in the ring um and um and anyway yeah so the the final uh, match is him and million dollar man million dollar man has virgil as his bodyguard and andre as his manager quote unquote um but of course, Andre is uh, constantly cheating, trying to give Million Dollar Man the advantage, the upper hand throughout the match um, until um, Macho Man. Now, at this point, you know, Macho Man and Hogan had formed like it wasn't they I guess they weren't like officially the mega powers yet, but they were it was like the beginning of their relationship. Um, they had sort of like, you know, developed. I think it was at a Saturday night's main event, like earlier in the year, the first time Hogan came out and rescued him, uh, rescued Macho Man, that is when he was like attacked by like a honky tonk man and like heart foundation or something like that. Um, so it was like, they were, they were allying. Um, but it wasn't like sort of set in stone just yet. They didn't have like a name for it. Um, but they were definitely like boys, you know, they were bros. Um, so when, Macho Man realizes, you know, he's uh, he, he's outmatched here with three against one, basically, with Andre and, and Virgil, you know, outside the ring. He uh, very, very shrewdly uh, whispers something in the ear of Elizabeth, and she runs backstage. Um, and now, this was, like, pretty choreographed. Um, I mean, pretty much from the beginning of the match, <laughs> the entire crowd is not watching the match. They're just watching the entrance, the, the curtain, um, uh, you know, backstage curtain to, to just, I mean, you know, wait, wait for Hogan to come also, out. They're also watching, they're also watching the whisper, which is a cup, <laughs> like, you know, it, it's, it's 20,000, 19,000 Stage whisper, a yeah. stage whisper. Watching yeah. a staged whisper, a cupped <laughs> stage whisper. And it's like, my God, he just whispered something very important to that woman who just ran backstage. Yeah, it's what like, could it be? What could possibly have been said? It's so good. And I will say when, um, like Ryan, you were saying your favorite moment or one of your favorite mo- moments was the the, the cinematic uh, shot of, of Hulk returning to the ring, um, you know, to, to slam Andre. For my money, like, 
Um, as as much as he pissed me off like throughout this entire event, seeing Hulk uh, seeing Hulk come out of that uh, uh, through that curtain wearing um, red wearing no shirt but red uh, span full leg spandex Catch and it. these like giant white cowboy boots. What is um, that outfit that he put on? Because I don't know. He's a different person, a different character in yeah. There. Yeah, it is not his usual ring attire. It's just what he hangs out in backstage, I guess. Um, But he looks badass. He looks awesome. If I had seen this live as a six-year-old, I would be losing my mind um right now um it's like it's it's fully like the crowd reacts like it's it's a moment that is very well scripted i would say um by by wwf like he comes out he's got full fish face he's making the full like big lips he's breathing hard his eyes are completely bulged out of his head He is ready for this fight, um, and uh, and he comes out, um, puts a uh, he unfolds a steel chair, a little foreshadowing there, sits right down uh, at ringside, um, and suddenly you know we've got a, we've got an even match here uh, with with Hulk in uh, in Macho Man's corner. Going back to what you were saying, the foreshadowing with the chair where he grabs the chair and sits down at ringside, mm-hmm. and like has this cont- contemplative look, like. <laughs> leaning on the ringside like why am i sitting mm. in a chair i had never seen hogan sit in a chair before <laughs> yeah and, it's not something and he did so of often. course the chair comes into play later which y- you can you can get into that yeah yeah um yeah i mean so you know it's it's even though the crowd's not really that invested it's a great match i mean uh probably the best match of the night is million dollar man versus versus macho man i mean they're, they're two great workers you know uh Yep. In con- stark contrast to, to Hulk and Andre, these guys know how to wrestle. They know their way around a ring, and uh, and they're providing an awesome match, um, which I feel like is wasted on this crowd, um, who really just wants to see something exciting happen. Um, and um, yeah, so long story short, there's like a uh, um, you know Macho Man goes up for a flying uh, elbow, um, but Million Dollar Man rolls out of the way, so Macho Man misses, and then Million Dollar Man gets Macho Man in the sleeper hold. Um, Can we which just I guess... talk about how how awome Randy Savage sells that sleeper? I mean, he is really oh. dizzy. Oh, like, yeah, he's yeah. just completely yeah. out of it. He's great at selling fatigue and and just like getting his ass kicked. And oh, he, absolutely, he, making you feel it. Mm-hmm. The way he would collapse, like after a shot, the way he would hit the mat in a in a pile, and he would just lie so flat and just drained, like he had no energy left. And of course, he's completely drenched in sweat. This is his fourth match of the night. Um, like I said, the man just left it all out there, um, and yeah, it, it was it, it totally worked. Um, and uh, anyway, so. Uh, DBS's got. Uh, Let's just say now, Ryan, Ryan. When we do the Randy Savage pod, you'll you'll come back for the Randy Savage deep dive. Oh, because, definitely. Like, there's just so much to unpack with him that mm. trying to even do it any justice here is just not going to work. But Ben, like, even the way he would like lean into the ropes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like the way yep. he would like kind of like fucking jump into that oh, top rope to like mm-hmm. suck the life out of the rope. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And and he, he would so... do that thing where he would walk on his toes for some reason. Yes. yes. The walk oh on my his god. Toes. Ryan. Yes. Thank you. 
thank you, dude. Like, he wh- he. It's like he's too excited to walk flat-footed or something. Oh my like, god! I yeah, I don't quite understand the thinking behind it, but it works. No, it's like he had so much energy. Like he was never flat-footed. It never made any physical sense from like from like a physics standpoint. Like it would make no sense to lean into ropes like the way he did, or to walk around <laughs> on his toes like that. But he had such insane kinetic energy. Like it didn't. It almost like there. It couldn't live entirely in his body that he Mm -hmm. just had to like force it into other things anyways yeah before i get onto a tangent ben continue no absolutely yeah he was so like twitchy and agile and like the way he would like spring like to get to the top rope for his finishing move he would like jump through the ropes onto the outside apron um and you know he'd be on the top rope and like one leap uh, on the top turnbuckle like he was so quick and agile and just springy and and like twitchy like a cat and like a, or like a like a ballerina i don't know but yeah just always the the tiptoe thing man ryan thank you for pointing that out because i've always it's such a weird like kind of like not you wouldn't think it like was an important thing but that totally colored his whole character of just like yeah. almost like michael jackson like where everything was so like yes. sort of precise and and like sort of sharp and quick and um yeah uh uh really Really love him. Some some of the notes from DiBiase in this were just amazing. Like the that punch that he does, where he like falls. De- someone is on the ground. Yeah, he, he holds yeah. his fist. Yeah, and he falls just, like, shoulder falls first, straight down. Yeah, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's he sells it so well. I think he really made a great point about these. These are two guys who made their living selling it, mm-hmm. and um, you can really feel it in this match. Yeah. yeah, professional yeah. actors with the physiques of bodybuilders, you know, the athleticism of like gymnasts, dancers, ballerinas. I mean, like, it is such a unique combination of skills, and these guys truly possessed it. Like, they were the best of the best. DiBiase and Macho were like really two of 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 the best in the WWF. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah, just incredible workers, incredible characters. Just they had they had everything. They brought it all. Um, All right, so DiBiase has Macho Man in that serious sleeper hold. Hogan slides onto the ropes with a chair, cracks Million Dollar Man in the back. He thought he could end it quick. Maybe that's what he has to do. He may not have enough in him. DiBiase going for the sleeper hold. There it is. He's got it on. But right near the ropes is the Macho Man. Oh, look out. Here comes the Hulkster. Oh. Yeah, Andre tries to grab the the rope from the outside, which distracts the ref for a very long time. Um, yes, allowing yeah, allowing Hogan to slide in with the chair and just blatantly cheat. Blatantly cheat doesn't. I I have like I had so much pro like such a huge problem with this finish. Yeah. It didn't. Yep. It's just like it was like wait why like we want Macho Man to win. He's going to be our champion, right? So in order to make it like the most satisfying the most um you know earned um yeah like do it on the level do it on the level like i don't care if hulk interferes like it was awesome yeah. uh, at one point uh, Ho- uh andre interferes and hogan rushes over and clobbers him on the outside of the ring and the crowd goes crazy and it's like okay that's cool like fight andre like that's that's you yeah. know, that, that's what your role should be but you shouldn't, or like, if anything, like maybe like grab DiBiase's foot at some point to trip him up, or like maybe hit him. Yeah. But to bring a full-on steel chair to mm-hmm. clobber him across the back, so he's out cold, which makes uh, Macho Man's finish move just like totally unearned. Like, oh, okay, he's like out cold on the mat. Like, okay, cool. Like, you're welcome. Now you can just, 
drop an atomic elbow on a completely yeah. unconscious, defenseless man. Um, right. <laughs> which I will say was a beautiful elbow. Uh, Macho it Man was. jumps from like well Iconic. over halfway across the ring to reach uh, DiBiase. Yeah. Uh, perfectly nails it. Gets the pin. One, two, three. Um, Can I say the steel chair to the back of the head is one of the most lethal, incredible moves <laughs> in WWF history. The oral history of the steel chair to the head needs to happen. And oh, yeah. whenever one of you guys is ready to green light that, I will write the piece for whatever oh. fucking website will pay me. But right. the steel chair to the head is... Um, I just feel like there's so much history with that move in the history of the WWF. And there were a couple really nasty chair to the head moments in this event. Um, You know, the, the Hogan Andre match had a couple of, there was one, I think where Andre got Hogan, where you hear it like ding. Yeah. There's like a Mm -hmm. real like clip. He really clips him bad. If you imagine the world of wrestling without steel chairs, or even WrestleMania Four without steel chairs, like if they had just gone with plastic chairs, wrestling history is mm. it's completely different. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. So Randy Savage gets the pin, and then we have the iconic moment, of course, where Miss Miss Elizabeth is hoisted up on his shoulder, and uh, he is crowned heavyweight champ. just having a huge crush on Elizabeth. I remember like thinking they were the best couple ever. And like Savage was my new guy. I always liked, I always loved like the Savage steamboat battles back in the day. Oh yeah. But watching it again, it's really odd to have two alphas on the stage. Um, And like, you know, Savage like repeatedly shakes Hogan's hand and Hogan is like psyching up the crowd and, kind of toasting Savage, but not really. And then there is this really weird line where Gorilla Monsoon goes, The undisputed World Wrestling Federation champion. Look at the tears of joy coming down the face of Elizabeth. What a 
threesome. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, um, yeah. It's yeah. just like, I, I think you're right, Ben, that Savage kind of got screwed. Like, Hogan's up, up there. So Hogan saved him. He kind of marred his victory by cheating. Yeah. But also, like, this is Savage's moment. Hogan, get yep. off the stage with your red Yep. Kids. Yeah, dude. Oh, yeah, my God, 100%. It, have, like, it had, like, po- like, political convention power brokery feel where, like, one alpha dog endorses the other alpha dog and it's kind of like we were just going at each other in the last debate we kind of called each other (laughs) bad names but i guess now we're gonna shake hands and pretend like we like each you know it's like bernie endorsing hillary or something and they're like we both fucking hate each other but we need to do this like let's just pretend like this is okay but um yeah dude it does have like very weird energy like weird like political energy where it's like i guess i'm supposed to be appreciative for of for you for for being here and helping me but i don't like you it absolutely turned my it turned my stomach to watch this happen so the the bell the bell rings after one two three hulk immediately rushes over and grabs the belt to hand it to macho man as if like He's the one, I mean, yeah, I get it. Symbolically, it's the passing of the torch. You know, Hulk was the champion for over four years, and now he's, you know, sprinkling his Hulk dust on Macho Man so that the, the crowd accepts him as the new champion, yada, yada. I get what they were, like, trying to do, but it just came off as so incredibly obnoxious. Hulk is just completely, like, Macho Man is in the ring by himself for, I think, about two seconds uh, with the belt and Elizabeth before Hulk charges back in, this time with the chair again, to act as, like, you know, hey, <laughs> His bodyguard, he's chasing off DiBiase and Andre with the chair and making it all about just completely chewing the scenery, you know, taking up all of the fucking oxygen in the entire in the entire room. Uh, Macho Man has exactly zero time in the limelight to himself um, upon winning his very first WWF World Heavyweight Championship, which he, you know, had earned, um, you know, through through years of, of incredible uh, work and, and performance uh, for, for the WWF. And instead of it being his moment, instead of, I mean, first of all, he, he stole, you know, Hulk stole a, a, a clean, you know, sort of um, fair victory by, by using the steel chair. But then even the celebration... Hulk is in there just completely hogging all of the space. He's pointing. He's running around. His energy is just like that of a four-year-old. And I know because I have one. Like, he's just, like, charging around, um, you know, just uh, doing his posing, doing all, like, raising Macho Man's hand. Like, finally, at one point, you know, Savage gets gets uh, Elizabeth up on his shoulder and there's, like, a cool shot. But even in that moment, Hogan barges in and he's, like, quaking and gibbering like a, like a fucking madman, just, you know, grabbing a, a Macho Man's hand again, sticking the finger in his chest, going back to swinging the chair around again. He's just, like, completely, completely taking over the moment. And it's like, all right, like, cool, like... So Macho Man just doesn't even get to like ha- like have there's like, like it's I've his been, wedding. It's there's his basically wedding. yeah it, exactly. You know what I mean? There's barely like it's a like, single dude, camera shot. You're the shot. best man, but like it's his fucking wedding. Like yeah, leave the Hulk, stage. Like, exactly. Hulk is the best man at a wedding who gets wasted and is just like grabbing the mic from people and like telling stories right. that don't make any sense and like ruining the night. Frankly, um, and. Um, yeah, and it just really, really angered me because I loved Macho Man. I love him even more now as an adult, just being able to appreciate, you know, his his work and his talent. Um, and I felt like this one, you know, this this incredibly, you know, triumphant moment for him was just stolen away from him. Um, and it really, really angered me. And 
does make me think about what he whispered to Elizabeth, you know? Like, I mean, <laughs> mm. we'll never know because of that cupped hand and the stage right. whisper. Yeah, we but couldn't read the lips. Kind of like, in, in, in actuality, he was probably like, look, can you go get Hogan? I'm gonna, uh, we have an incident here. You know, we're having some issues here with Andre. Can you just get Hogan to have him keep an eye on Andre? Don't have him like interfere with the match. No <laughs> chairs. I don't want any chairs involved. Yeah. Just have him keep an eye on Andre. That's it. Yeah. That is it. If you tr- and yeah. of course, if you, tr- you know, Hogan gets that mic at the wedding and he can't stop making his best man speech. And, yeah. And uh, he can't help so himself. I, I a got mess. a question for you guys. I got a question for you yeah. guys. Knowing that we we probably we saw this dynamic when we rewatched it, but when we originally watched it, do you think mm. the seeds of the breakup between Savage and Hogan were planted already yes. that day? Like, yes. Was this always a long con for them to fight? Because I never bought them as friends. You know, I was watching the the undercard, and it's like Rick Martel and Tito Santana. Those guys are friends. Those guys love being around <laughs> each other, you know? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Axe and Smash, the the leather guys in Demolition, like oh, those yeah. guys really get along. Peace but in the there's always this sort of weird distance between yeah. Savage and Hogan. And yeah. like Savage doesn't really seem like he has a lot of friends, honestly. You know? Like yeah. he doesn't seem like a guy who's pretty who's that trusting. Elizabeth yeah, he is was... his, you know, ride or die, you know, friend. Right. He was always the, the lone wolf. Um, and yeah, I do think, I mean, I will say like to, to give the WWF any credit, I think that this was very smart. I think that they were planting the seeds already for the WrestleMania five, you know, mega powers breakup. Um, and I think they did do a really good job of, of, of plotting that out very like, you know, slowly and deliberately and starting here. Um, and, I, I mean, I guess, like, so in that sense, like, Hogan played his role perfectly. It still just made me sad that, like, Macho Man didn't get at least, like, one night yeah. to, like, have his have his own moment. Um, but it did, um, but, like, the weird thing was that, like, throughout that whole thing, so, you know, spoiler alert if anyone hasn't watched WrestleMania five, but Hogan and Macho <laughs> Man, uh, you know, their, their friendship, the, the mega powers, like, they, uh, there's too much tension, and it's very, uh, there's a very, very overt, like, sexual dynamic there with Elizabeth, which even, like, by the, so I, I've, like, watched some of the, uh, some, like, random stuff on YouTube, like, promos, like, after this uh, event throughout the summer, um, leading up to the SummerSlam in 1988, uh, where the mega powers face the mega bucks team of DiBiase and Andre, but even like the promos and all the build up to that event throughout the sort of remainder of the spring and the summer of 1988 were really weird where Hogan, like there's like a whole subplot of him, like getting excited by Elizabeth as like the manager of their team and how Hogan's like, he like asks for like a kiss from her and he's like constantly like talking about her and like how charged up he got, like seeing her like on the beach in a bikini and like all this like very like, like kind of lewd, like fucked up stuff stuff um which i guess was you know all part of the storyline and and like made a lot of sense um but yeah very uncomfortable uh very weird and um but but throughout that whole process and through wrestlemania 5 which you know hogan wins he's the good guy and macho man is the one who turns heel for wrestlemania 5 at least that's like my recollection of of like the way it was framed, the way it was set up in the storyline was that Hogan, of course, Hogan is always, he's the good guy, um, even though he's a cheater, 
and uh, a he cheated weird... twice in this event. Yeah, and by the way, and... yeah, 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 and he had cheated previously too. He had hit uh, Andre over the head with the championship belt at a pre- in a previous, I think, it was like summer or Survivor Series '87. Anyway, yeah, like this wasn't that uncommon for him. Um, and then yeah, and then just his his behavior, just his like you know scene stealing and just um obnoxious obnoxious behavior and yet he was always framed as the good guy and macho man is the one who turns heel for wrestlemania 5 so yeah very all very confusing and a little upsetting (sighs) as an adult um but anyway so (laughs) that was wrestlemania 4 folks you've been listening to switch